millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, AMA, in association with r slash Formula One. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Today, we're joined by F1 media star Chris Medland. Normally, he asks the questions to the top names in Formula One, but today we turn the mic on him and ask him your questions provided by the subreddit r slash Formula One. Hi, Chris. Hello, how are we doing? Thank you so much for taking the time in between GPs. I know the rest days are kind of getting less and less at the moment. Yeah, I mean, as a freelancer, I don't really get rest days anyway. So uh, it's always just working from different places. But yeah, it's uh, it's cool to do. I tell you what, this is really daunting. Uh, as you said, I'm usually the one asking the questions and just <laughs> sitting back and letting someone else sort of worry about the answers. But it's strange to be the other way around. It does give you a, an insight into what the drivers go through when people are asking them questions and there's all this expectation on them to provide an interesting narrative. Really, they're just there to turn the steering wheel. Yeah, that's all they want to be doing. It's um, <laughs> Although I always remember that one of the uh, press officers um, who used to work at Red Bull and Tyro Rosso said when he worked with the Tyro Rosso guys, he'd walk in for their first meeting and say, we pay you X hundred thousand pounds a year and we pay you that to do the media because you don't like doing that and you don't want to do that and you're not comfortable doing that, but you'd drive the car for free. So he so said, that's why you're paid so well. It's to do the stuff that you don't like to do. So I can see, I can see where he's coming from. And I suppose as a freelancer, uh, expressing yourself on other platforms is part of your, your work as well. Yeah, I've got to give it a go, haven't I? And, uh, and taking, um, I'm surprised there's not been any abuse so far. I'm sure there'll be some coming, but you know, got to be, got to front up to that as well when you get things wrong. Well, the questions were set by the moderators on a moderated subreddit thing. So I'm assuming that people behave themselves more when it's did, the guys yeah. <laughs> that are in charge. Thank you very much to the moderators at r slash Formula One for setting this up. Let's fire into the questions. The first one is from user Anil P228. He says, if you could travel back in time and have a media pass, for one F1 race from a previous era, which race would you pick and why? 
Do I have to pick one race? Like one is so hard. There's been a lot. There's been over a thousand. We know that now. The, um, the forum is yours, Chris. You can pick as many as you want. I know. I'm going to cheat, aren't I? Uh, I'll, I'll admit, I um, saw that pop up on that thread and thought, that's a really good question because it is something you don't normally think about. And it would definitely be a title decider. Um, I think I'd love to go back to something like Japan in 76 um, to see Humpty Louder and kind of how that played out. But I also look at it from the perspective of how we deal with it now in, in the terms of the way media is now. And you think, imagine just tweeting that Louder would come into the pits or you know, where Hump was in his position and just and people maybe who couldn't see it suddenly thinking, wow, what's going on here? Uh, same, same with uh, Japan 89. Japan seemed to have some good some good races to go to. Um, but obviously, Senna and Prost and that collision and, and the fallout and, and the drama that would have created within McLaren as well. And, and same sort of thing, just going and chasing that because back then, I suppose, there was a bit more time for it to unfold and to be covered in a considered way. But to try and do that real time, uh, I think would have been really cool. So probably one of those two. Or if I'm allowed to cheat slightly, I, I wouldn't have picked them initially because people say it's not really that far back as an era. But... 07 and 08, the uh, the two title deciders in, in those two years just looked incredible to be at. I really, really am jealous of people that were at those. We're getting to the point, actually, that's starting to feel like a different era in F1 because we've got a newer generation that's coming. But you, you kind of cheated already by saying yeah. you would have all your modern journalistic uh, tools available, like you want to tweet about Louder. But in the olden days, wouldn't you have just had way more time before the rest of the world even knew what was happening? Yeah, exactly. And there's part of me that thinks that looked great. When I, I used to actually put in the old race reports into um, ESPN when we did an archive. Um, we had like these, uh, this specific archive we were building of every Grand Prix. We had a race report. And I remember reading about them and, and looking up and, and researching them and thinking, this would have been awesome to cover the sport back then because you'd fly out really early. You could take as long as you needed to file your copy. You had days until it was needed, maybe even weeks if you're doing it for certain magazines and different outlets like that so I thought that would be a great way to to have worked but now I find that the buzz you get as a journalist and the excitement is when something happens and you want to you want to relay it as quickly as possible and I think I'd probably have got frustrated that you had to wait so long uh, for people to find out so yeah I, th- I think I'd rather have done the the immediacy but um, same thing but when we had like the Fisa Foca war and you had you know drivers wanted down in South Africa and that sort of thing and, and journalists could go and mix with the drivers and really talk about what was going on I think that era that that does sound really cool. Yeah, your tweets often come out before my stream has, you know, <laughs> before the event has happened. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's a good way to follow Meadows so that, you know, you get alerted to something interesting about to happen. All right, then. So if you had to nail down one answer for Anil here, uh, what what is the race you're going back to? I think I'm going back to Japan 76. You've got to imagine the parties would have been better in the 70s as well. Exactly. You think of, you know, um, I mean, James Hunt's just won a world championship. I think you're going to want to be there to see. Half the reporting is going to be the, the morning after and, and the, the carnage that ensued. So, yeah, I think that'd be a fun one to do. Chris, let's get on to an, another user question from r slash Formula One. A TV in black and white asks, hey, Chris, exclamation mark, what's Hello. your best driver interview anecdote? So this is really tough because you do so many interviews. They do kind of blend into one. Um, a recent one that was quite funny was I was doing, I do some TV reporting for uh, the Middle East broadcaster NBC. And I was in the TV pen with uh, Daniel Ricciardo after the race in Hungary. And he really needed to sneeze. And we waited for <laughs> about five seconds of him pulling his most ridiculous faces and going, it's no, wait. Oh, and he just it went on and on and on, and I was in stitches to be honest. Um, 
So that was hilarious. But uh, one that I always bring up that was really cool that maybe people who know him and know the name as soon as I say it will think, yeah, it'll be hilarious. But others would probably not expect me to pick someone like this. But it's Davide Valsecchi. Uh, and I did an interview with him, well, a feature with him uh, when he won the GP2 championship. Um, he was in Abu Dhabi and he was going to test the Lotus. And I did this feature with him where we did an interview and went karting at the kart track that was uh, in Abu Dhabi. Oh, it's a tough life, isn't it? Oh, I know. I set this up and essentially I was like, how do I get some free karting and an interview all in one? Uh, but it was it was basically to use him to coach me. So it was it was only brief, but it was what does a driver see if he follows you as a punter who thinks he's quite, you know, can drive a go-kart and, and you get told this, this you can improve, that you can improve. And we went out and, and Davide followed me for a few laps, really tight twisty car park sort of circuit it wasn't exactly thrilling but it was it was fun and I obviously went for it trying to impress and uh we stopped for a break in the middle and uh and he comes over and we get the track map up and he's like so I can I won't do his accent I shouldn't oh <laughs> <But> go on <laughs> such a good start he's like I, I hope language is fine in this but it was like you know I can see you know what you're doing you you drive you drive fast he's good he's good and then you get here and you're shit. and then we come here and you're really shit. And but all with a massive smile on his face, and I was like, "Well, why don't you say what you mean?" <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that was quite good. I obviously all went in the feature as well, so I have learned not to overestimate my karting abilities. Does that that count as uh, an interview? I'm sure. Do you ever do these these um, almost like the vox pop ones where they have a driver in the car and then they have a stream of journalists jump into the passenger seat and, and ask questions? And the drivers seem to do their best to to really just frighten the journalists into not asking questions. Well, I, I did, um, I've done two hot laps um, with the Pirelli hot laps they do. So I jumped in when it was with Lando in uh, China. But then last year I did uh, Max Verstappen as well in Canada. And that came after I'd hosted the official FIA press conference. And in it, he got a lot of questions about Monaco when he'd been crashing. And um, a few journalists were probing quite a lot going, you know, do you need to change? Do you need to change? And he was getting tired of it. And in the end, Max said he was going to headbutt someone if the questioning didn't change. And he was semi-joking but there was you know not a much of a smile on his face when he said it anyway 30 minutes later the guy that was hosting that press conference then gets into a car with the same driver who's just threatening to headbutt everyone and I just sort of looked at him and was like great but no he was he was actually on very good form and he he tried to scare me a little I think but he was he was pretty chilled out and um I was actually really impressed with the way that in that sense drivers can switch between kind of the the face they have to put on and the thought process they have to put on for media and doing interviews and then as soon as they're out of that environment they can be totally normal and relaxed again really quickly so um yeah no 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 not been too scared by too many drivers so far we are of course also streaming live on youtube and we're joined by a live chat room you can jump on the live stream for any missed apex programs by going to youtube and searching for missed apex podcast a clappers has just made a great comment in there uh, talking about which uh, season you'd like to go back to with a media pass, and he says, I'd love to have seen James Hunt with a Twitter account. Oh, yeah, that would have been carnage, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, someone should just set that up anyway and just do what how he would have <laughs> reacted to things nowadays. That must exist somewhere. Twitter's huge. But, yeah, he would have been amazing on social media. Whose Twitter account do you think would uh, would would benefit most from being let off the leash of the current crop of drivers? Because they've all got to be a bit savvy, haven't they? And you see, like, Ricciardo... Yeah occasionally will tweet something like oh, i don't need to say anything but if he was unleashed do you think he would be pretty tweet happy yeah a little i think it was, it was after france wasn't it where he really wanted to he said he was at, uh, in danger of a twitter rant and then stopped himself um which was almost one in itself but i still think that lewis holds back a lot it, it, he 
he does have some pretty sort of big outbursts every now and then or or sometimes where maybe he rethinks what he said. But on the whole, I think he really does hold back now with the way he works that. And a few years ago, he was a little bit more free with it. Um, but it became a news story. And I, I do appreciate that they don't want that either. We want to no. we want the drivers to be as honest and, and themselves as much as possible. But then when they do that, we sometimes pick up on it and make it a news story. So, um, yeah, I think, to be honest, I know Seb doesn't like, doesn't want to be part of any of that. But when you hear some of his outbursts, like in the car or when he's not happy about things. I reckon he could be really, really sarky and quite fun if he was on Twitter. We should let him tweet from the cockpit because when he yeah. gets out of the car, he can compose himself so well and you go, that's not the same guy that was on the yeah. team radio. Vettel is the topic of the next question, all provided yeah. by the moderators and users of r slash Formula One on Reddit. And this one is from, uh, I'm just going to say, it. Uh, the user is F1FEGP2BTCC snappy uh annoyed i didn't snap that up myself hi chris thank you and mr apex for doing this uh, you're certainly welcome uh, with the struggles that vettel is facing at ferrari do you think that his struggles are a result of the car not suiting his driving style and perhaps the pressured environment at ferrari do you expect leclerc to suffer the same problems with ferrari in the future and uh, and then have to move to another team to achieve glory I do think it's about the car not seeing his driving style. I think, in a sense, you only have to look at what Vettel went through alongside Weber at Red Bull and the way that, at that age, coming in, he was very good at adapting and, and changing his driving style to fit the car however it was needed. Uh, and Weber couldn't quite do that. So things like the blown diffuser and, and needing to actually plant your foot more because it would give you better um, aero performance at the rear. But obviously, if the rear is loose, you're not thinking, oh, I'll put my foot down even harder. You're thinking lift because I'm going to lose it. So um, to retrain your brain like that's obviously so difficult. And that's what makes these guys so good. But Vettel was better at Weber than that, at doing that. And I wonder if now he's just getting to the age now, he's in his 30s, where Ooh. it's just not quite happening as quickly for him. And, and he's learned so much about Formula One car. He's been in it so long that someone like the clerk, who's new and fresh, can just absorb that information and adapt a little bit quicker. Or at the very least, it's just not quite ingrained in him in the same way as it is in Seb. So I do think that does play a part um, because we've seen Seb perform at Ferrari. He's had some some good years. Obviously, you know, when he first went there and getting wins and being the closest thing to a threat to Mercedes when Merck was so dominant, um, I think was it shows that he can perform there. The pressure is only big if, if things aren't going well. And Ferrari have had a couple of years of a car that should challenge the championship and and they missed out, and Seb was sort of central to that. I don't think the clerk's going to suffer the same fate necessarily. Uh, I think it's too early to know that, but I think it, he's fitting in well there. He's learning quickly. I think we saw him play a few little games in Monza on certainly on Saturday. Uh, and realistically, it's such a political beast, Ferrari, that you can't be completely naive to it. And maybe he'll make some more mistakes soon. Um, certainly in his early part of his career, but I think. I think he's still well set that he can be successful there. I, I don't think he'd have to move to get that success. Uh, a follow-up from the, the floor, Your Honour. Um, it. It's interesting you're saying about age. It's crushing to hear a relatively young man being described as, you know, perhaps at the far end of his career. As a 39-year-old, that hurts. How old is Vettel? 30? Vettel is 32 now, 33. 32. Oh, oh, that's depressing. But, I mean, yeah. that that is true for an athlete. 32, you, you, look, you look at down down the down the pitch or down the pit lane at a, a 19 year old and they just have a, a just a different energy that you just don't have anymore yeah certainly and it, you know it it was better at one stage you know he came in as 
he, he talks about when he first drove that BMW Sauber at Indianapolis and thought, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I meant to race one of these things? This is terrifying. But experience sort of teaches you so much and makes you comfortable. But then once you get comfortable, it's hard to kind of adapt to new things or harder. I'm not saying it's impossible by any stretch. Uh, and we've seen certain drivers do it very well. But I think that's also when a driver has a certain style that they're very, very strong. Look at Jensen Button. I mean, it, there were times that he was unbeatable because of his driving style and he was smooth in certain conditions. But there's other times he just couldn't get a car to work for him. And, you know, that's that's just all on style and feel and, and the, the way a driver uh, approaches racing. And you can't just change that instantly. So it might be that Seb's finding that out a bit the longer he's gone on in the sport. It's it's fascinating to watch that Ferrari dynamic change. It's possible that Leclerc right now isn't being judged in the same way as Schumacher, Alonso, Vettel. He's being judged as the the young upstart coming in and upsetting the number one. Do, do you think he's going to be the number one by the end of the season? Uh, or actually, this follows on nicely to Toxic Junior's question, which is, do you think Vettel can strike back against Leclerc this season? And what and what happens? What happens if he can't? Like we've not seen this before. Alonso didn't get ousted by Massa. You know, it's a, it's a very different one. Yeah, I, I do think there'll be races when it, when Seb has the upper hand. I mean, until the win uh, on Sunday, Seb was still ahead of Charles in the standings. He'd missed out on his bigger opportunities, but he's still got it in him to perform when the car's good enough and and to deliver race wins. And I think Charles is still going to make mistakes as well. Um, I know some people do question it, but if the car is quick enough at the front, I think you know Seb is good enough to do it. And the way Monza panned out, I mean, if, if qualifying had gone smoothly, shall we say, there's every chance Vettel would have been on pole and who knows how that would have panned out from there. But I think what, what Seb can do is certainly still deliver that sort of result. I think just as much Leclerc can still deliver some mistakes because it is his first year at Ferrari. He, he has made some already this season. We've seen it in, in Germany. Um, we have seen it this season where he's, he's made some small errors because he's going to. He's pushing hard. He's trying to make himself that number one in that team. Uh, and in doing so, he, he's still going to make errors too. So I think that will open the door to Vettel a bit. Um, I, to be honest, it's a good question to say what happens if he doesn't, if Vettel doesn't get the better of the clerk yeah. between now and the end of the season. And to be honest, I think it just means it's it's one year and, and then it could be goodbye because... I, I still feel that Vettel does want to stay. He does see the potential for Ferrari to, to become world champions. And, you know, he would be desperate to emulate Schumacher and win a title with Ferrari. But his, his contract runs out at the end of next season. And if he sees that he's being pushed aside right now, but he'll think, right, one last go then to, to hit back as such next year. If he doesn't do it then, then maybe he'll think the writing's on the wall. But it's a very similar scenario to what happened at Red Bull when uh, Daniel came in and, and in that sense eased him out. But he had the opportunity to leave. He had performance clauses in his contract and he had that dream Ferrari seat waiting for him as well. And he doesn't have that next thing to go and do right now. So I don't think he's going to be quite so eager to move on. It's quite damaging to have two number one drivers when you've also got other teams involved. So if you've got like a dominant Williams or a dominant Mercedes, you can have Rosberg and Hamilton. But actually, Ferrari might look at Mercedes across the way and say, well, we've got a car to beat them this year. We do actually need to pick one of you guys because, Charles, you've come of age much quicker than than we expected. Uh, can we go to yeah. some more questions? All yeah. supplied from r slash Formula One from a user, you over-rotated. Hi, Chris. What's the most important story of 2019 that no one's talking about? And uh, well, maybe you'd already be talking about it. Or do you have a secret? Do we have exclusives? Well, this is it. I, I did see this and thought, um, if 
if it was that important, we would be talking about it, I'd like to think. I, I do think it's gone a little bit quiet on the 2021 front because you know, we, we don't have regulations for that yet. Um, we don't have uh, commercial agreements signed yet. In a sense, the sport isn't confirmed beyond the end of next year. Now, it clearly is going to continue because there's race contracts in place. Oh, uh, yeah. Some sponsorship deals in place. I mean, Rocket extended their title sponsorship with Williams. Uh, Sergio Perez now has a contract to race beyond that time. There's, you know, people are, are committing because they know it's going to happen. But the fact that it hasn't yet maybe should be a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say concerning, but just should be something we, we don't forget because it could suddenly blow up that a certain team decides, nope, not happy with where this is going, or perhaps that more teams get to come in because they're like, yep, this really does work for us. Yeah, it could really, really open things up. So until you get it nailed down and, and it stabilizes, then it, it's got the potential to be quite volatile. Okay, would you mind giving us a little bit of a lay of the land of of how you see how the teams are looking at 2021? Does it need all the teams to agree on on these regulations or just? No, it doesn't. But I think that's still what Liberty would like to do. Um, Same with the FIA. They they try and keep everyone happy as much as they can. And it, it doesn't really work. What Ross Braun seems a bit more open to do is to just go, screw it. These are the rules. Deal with them. But he's not the one who has to worry about the financial side of things and and basically keeping everyone involved in that sense. He just wants, from a sporting perspective, to go, this is going to be the best way of doing it. Uh, it's clear that they're fighting a bit of a battle in terms of the teams thinking 2021 is going to be too prescriptive with the regulations and they're going to be the cars will be too similar. Uh, because they even ran a competition, like a quiz, called Guess the Car in Monza for journalists, um, which they'd already done with team members. They'd done it with um, F1 personnel as well. And oh. it was taking all the liveries off the cars and making them like a, a grey or a black or a white colour um, from testing it was. And you had um, sort of an oblique angle and then you had the side-on view. And from those two, you had to just work out each in each picture which car was which. How did you and do? That, the whole point. Well, I didn't get to do it. Sadly, uh. I was doing the, uh, the F2 press conference at the same time and that overran. Um, so... I was an, unfortunately unable to do it, but uh, Lawrence Edmondson, who I sit with uh, from ESPN, he got 19 out of 20 right. And there was one curveball in there. He thinks it might have been an F2 car now, thinking back. But they weren't told if it was every car twice or if, how it was mixed up. So <laughs> um, the odd number suggests there was, there was a trick just to make sure no one got maximum points. But it was quite surprising that he got 19 out of 20 because I think uh, and everyone scored fairly highly, or a lot of people scored fairly highly. And I think F1 wanted people to struggle because their point they wanted to make to the teams was no one can tell the difference between the cars anyway until you put a livery on. So the 2021 rules won't matter. As soon as you put your livery on it, everyone will see it's your car. They should Which have asked I, uh, middle-aged I podcast think... hosts and they'd have had more success, I think. Uh, 2014 would have been a lot easier, wouldn't it? Yeah, big time. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I think, you know, it's... I think I would have struggled a little. I reckon I'd have been in the ballpark about 14, 15 out of 20. Um, but at the same time, I do agree that once you put livery on it, um, and there is still differentiation in the cars in the way they're designed, teams are going to chase that differentiation because it's performance. They're never going to just leave it. Uh, and and fans are going to see a car that hopefully looks quite cool in styling anyway as like a basic idea, but then it's slightly subtly different in different ways. And then you put livery on it and it's clearly different. So I, I think everyone's right in that sense. But um, yeah, they, they wanted to prove a point and it didn't really quite come off for them. So, so just um, just to circle back a little bit to, to over-rotated's question, because he's saying, what, yeah. is, what is nobody talking about? Do, do you find that there is aspects of these 2021 rules and the way it's working out and the, 
the kind of the battle of the soul of F1 between, you know, is it going to be more spec? Are we going to bring the spending costs in? Is there a big difference between the understanding as you have it inside F1 and say somebody like me watching from thousands of miles away? Is there something that the general public is missing? Uh, I wouldn't have said so. I think maybe they are overlooking just how much research is going into it and how much time and effort and money is being spent by F1 alongside the FIA to try and make sure that what they come up with um, works. You know, it's it's been done so basically in the past. It's kind of an idea. And, you know, if you think of the, the 2017 cars, they were meant to be the fastest ever because the drivers want to be, you know, challenged more. But obviously the knock-on effect was then it's harder to follow and harder to race. And, and as soon as you present them, then there's some other reason that it was the wrong way to go. And I think now we're seeing... F1 trying to cut off all of those avenues that might suddenly mean that there's a 2021 car that comes out and someone goes, yeah, but then that's turned it into this or that's created this problem. They're trying to minimize how many problems it creates. So um, it's, it's a huge amount of effort that's going in there. We, we get the old presentation um, sort of off record sometimes, sometimes on record. We get to see how it's progressing, the work that they're doing. Um, and yeah, the investment is huge. I mean, I think they released a video recently, didn't they, of the Sauber wind tunnel uh, running the wind tunnel model in there. And that was very cool to see. But also oh, shows, you know, this is, they're, they're basically a Formula One team developing a car and sticking it, you know, doing all the testing, now trying to work out if they were a rival team, how would they screw over their their rivals? They're looking for the loopholes. It's it's a huge amount of effort. And I think that's maybe being underlooked when people then criticise it and they go, oh, well, that's rubbish for this reason. It's like, well, there's a reason it's got there. It, it has been worked on a lot. Excellent. Let's move on to our next question because it is organisational and it is related and it looks like... The moderators at r slash Formula One on Reddit have actually put these in a, a logical order. It makes perfect <laughs> sense. Um, see, when I talk to uh, Joe, Joe's very much into the politics and the business side of it. You speak to someone like um, Summers or, uh, and they are, you know, much more into the tech side. What, what aspect of the F1 world interests you the most? Are you much more focused on like race day or? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, to me, the human element and the, the stories you get out of that and the fact that these are. Like incredible people doing incredible things in cars. And then not only that, the teams around them are also incredible and, and the effort that they put in to put on this huge show for people and how relatable they really are. Um, and trying to, I like to think I try and bridge that gap a little bit um, between what, before you go there, you think it's this other world. Mm. And when you get there, it kind of is, but at the same time, it's, it is completely normal people doing, in a sense, normal jobs. But when you put it all together, it creates this amazing, amazing show. So yeah, the people behind it really fascinate me. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Dolan313 says, Hi, Chris. I, I've a somewhat vague question. Uh, I, at least it's not going to be that, that one. Who's that press, press conference guy with the super long question? <laughs> I, I saw oh, a um, block of text and I thought, uh-oh, am I being done here? Well, I, want to say, I think it's Walter Costner, I think <laughs> his name. He's hilarious. And every time he starts to, uh, to ask the question, everyone sits up and takes notice. So he, he knows yeah. what he's doing. He's not just bad at it. He knows what he's doing. No, yeah, he does. And to be fair, he's asking it in English when it's not his first language. I, I always try and cut some slack because the amount of journalists that have to do that, Dutch journalists, Spanish, Italian, exactly. asking in English, uh, I couldn't do it the other way around. So, uh, Hi, Chris, uh, says Dolan313. I have a somewhat vague question. Though I can't find a better way to put it, do you anticipate any big surprises from Liberty's management of FOM in the next five odd years? Hanoi and Zander Devort aren't too shocking, although interesting in their own way. And intent has been expressed to have a second US race. But can other major moves be anticipated? Anything related to tracks, teams, drivers, payment, broadcasting, the relationship with the FIA? I think it's a vague question, but it is a good question. What are Liberty yeah. doing with our sport? Yeah, I think um, the biggest change is actually going to be around the racing itself or their attempt to maybe make it a bit more compact so that they can have more races. I mean, we've seen that it's going to be a record calendar next year, but you've still got a full, when, when you go there, a full four-day weekend on site for, for media and drivers and certain team members. But the setup that that takes, um, getting all the equipment there, then setting it up and then packing it all down again as well, it takes way longer. So it's it's a huge, huge process for them, especially when it's back-to-back, like we're in the middle of now. And I think Liberty are going to look at ways of trying to combine making that a, a shorter period or, or a, a more efficient period. Um, so maybe even a three-day weekend in terms of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where you still have running all three days, but maybe less on certain days and different timings so that it's just a little bit more friendly to the teams. But also then that it will open up a couple more races again, because that's where the big money is for them. Uh, and I think they're willing to do that. And Ross Braun's hinted it as well. They're willing to then see how they make maybe Saturday even more entertaining. Do they have you know, qualifying races or do they, do they mix up that format? I think they're willing to break the structure a bit. And uh, I think Ross actually did publicly state that next year at certain venues, perhaps they could test a different format just once or twice, just see how it works out. Um, make it non-championship or essentially, you know, make it um, that you do, you test a qualifying race, but it's not actually counting to that race weekend. It's just to see how it would work. I think they're willing to do that when in the past we, we haven't really seen that at all. But Friday afternoons, uh, Friday test sessions are the only things that make Fridays at work bearable is having one earphone in listening. To well, I think there'd still be some. I think <laughs> I think the most likely way they've gone, and I've not had this, you know, there's been so many discussions about different ways that Liberty and FIA are looking at doing it. But I think it's more likely that they'd have maybe one long one on Friday afternoon, but not the morning one, or, or it'd be a short morning one. Uh, and then a long afternoon one, but just try and shift everything back so that teams essentially can rock up a bit later. Um, and even then, when I say rock up a bit later, we're talking that they'd arrive on Tuesday with the cars and garages to set up rather than Monday as they do at the moment. Uh, so it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's the whole 
the amount of work it goes into building up a paddock and building up a garage and building the car uh, to then allow the team themselves, mechanics and engineers to show up and run it uh, is huge. So it's just trying to give them a little bit more leeway between those and then they can squeeze in an extra race or two. And, and obviously there's millions to be had in that. Uh, chat room's just chiming in. Othnil says, leave the damn format how it is. And Tea Time says, Liberty should allow Kimmy to carry whiskey while racing to improve his aero. Uh, I mean, Othnil is probably echoing what a lot of people are thinking, which is like, don't tinker with it. We like the qualifying format. Uh, they, yeah. the, it doesn't help. The last time they experimented was with that elimination thing and it just didn't land i saw where they were going uh how was that seen from inside and and has it damaged the chances of, of experimenting further uh i don't think it's damaged the chances of experimenting further i think it's led to a bit when i say with the 2021 regulations the way that they're doing so much research and so much work behind the scenes i think there's a bit more wariness now of rushing into anything and it's that they will test something but They'll only test it in the right environment so that they then know its impact or if they're going to make a change, it's going to be thoroughly researched beforehand. Uh, yeah, that was painful. Within within the media centre, I remember being sat in watching that and just working out which cars were going to miss the cut and hadn't gone out again. Um, some some insisting that they meant to do it. Some clearly didn't, just didn't understand the format. It was a shambles really, wasn't it? Like the way, the way that all played out. Um, and there's an argument to be said that if it had been left a little bit longer, maybe teams then would have got a firmer grasp on it and it, it would have been better but I was with you it did the qualifying format does not need changing in my eyes um and in the same way that Monza was crazy at the end of Q3 but that's once and sometimes you get something that's a bit different with this format so you you, you might get someone who wants to go out early and get a lap in or you might get everyone backing up at the end but it was entertaining to watch uh, we'll, we'll get to the next question in just a second but there was a, a brilliant chat comment there that it says your oh, track owners want Fridays uh, but perhaps they could scrap the F F one from Fridays and promote better F two F three things and and have them as kind of a giveaway for people to to come through the door and get into different categories. Yeah, I mean the, we do have F two and F three at, at most European rounds, and they do run uh, a practice and a qualifying session both on Friday. So you do see a fair bit of action from them alongside the F one stuff, uh, and then their races are Saturday and Sunday. And I think if you look at the way MotoGP do things. The, the build-up with Moto3, Moto2, and then the MotoGP race does seem to be quite a good way of of pulling through fairly quickly, I'd have said. Um, and I think Formula 1 has learned from that with the way we do Formula 3, Formula 2. Then Porsche tends to get in between. Um, but there's a fair bit of racing there on a Sunday morning, especially. Saturday, you get three races as well. But then, yeah, I think Friday maybe does lack a race. It, it, it lacks that excitement yeah. of a race. And, and there's not many venues that do get that right. Uh, in Melbourne, they do V8 supercars, um, as they were, um, on a Friday. Um, in fact, they run on a Thursday, I think, for their qualifying. So they, I think promoters should be allowed a bit more freedom, perhaps, to pick the schedule they want in terms of other support races. Uh, that would be quite good, just to open people's eyes to other types of racing, but also maybe something more local, more, spe- more specific. So, yeah, that could be a good idea. Our next question is a doozy. It is from Pupella. Yeah, that's clever. I see what I see what you've done there. It's a poop joke. Um, hey Chris, if you could build a house in the runoff of any corner of any track and live there for a race weekend, which corner of which track would it be? Let's say it can be in any formation through history as well, so you can undo some some. Oh, it's got to be in the runoff area, you see. So it'll be in a tarmac runoff area. Uh, we'll say the house is impervious to motor cars and uh, it doesn't affect the motor cars in any way as well. I'd hope I'd hope not. Um, this I did see this one before as well, and thought that once a really cool question. Uh, 
Um, I wish I had the money for this. But it was also a tricky one because I, I've, I'm a bit biased and I sort of think, well, aside from when the racing's going on, you know, where do I want to be when I need to go out for dinner or something like that? So um, the one that was sort of jumping to the top of my list was turn one at Cota. Um, oh. If you're on the outside of that, the view you've got the circuit, you do get some, some incidents at, at, at turn one. You've got a great city in Austin, really nearby. I'm a I'm a big fan of the US. I'm, I'm working for Racer tends to tends to mean that I get over there quite a lot. So I thought that'd be a cool spot to be. Obviously, the outside of Radion over Rouge looking down at that would just be incredible. Um, but then you know we've not had a, the greatest time there recently, so I, I was probably erring away from that one. I think now you said that I can have any configuration of track though that changes things massively I, I was thinking about um you being at turn one in austin wouldn't you just be alarmed at cars suddenly appearing over the hill though it wouldn't be very good for the ticker well no but i mean that's one of the reasons you pick it isn't it because ah, it's, so. it's gonna be exciting <laughs> um, <laughs> just on the outside of a really boring corner and you're just watching everyone roll by nice and comfortably you just get sent to sleep so you want it you want it to be exciting um is there was there a good comment there that someone oh sorry yeah i got distracted i get distracted by this chat room all the time it's just somebody saying you know uh, you know chris medland get off my lawn you pesky kids as the cars go by you know i'm I'm trying to sleep here um yeah Yeah, i'll be grumpy old man like (laughs) waving this guy i suppose maybe if you could stick yourself in the maggots beckett's complex as well and you just have this incredible view of cars at their highest g's and speeds that would be very cool. Or even the outside of Casino Square where you just can't believe that cars don't crash there more often or the swimming pool, outside the swimming pool section at Monaco. Um, there's there's some spots there that would just be awesome. But they just feel like they're like the street circuits. You can do that anyway, really. Yeah. You, you can you can get, a, I was thinking like say Singapore, you can be in a hotel where you're right next to a corner. It's incredible. So um, yeah, I've, now I'm, I might even come back to this by the end of the uh by the end of this video because you said I can have any configuration now and yeah. I'm like there's so many other circuits stick a pin so. in it I'll put a note to, to ask you <laughs> ask you at the end there well let's move on to the next question then and it's another naughty username so trigger warning mums and dads okay if your little ones are listening it's from user ready. Beyonce underscore He's, I see what you've done you've used for comic effect hi Chris says Beyonce underscore each I'm just the thing is you swore earlier so i've got to put an explicit tag anyway oh yeah apologies, uh, apologies yeah. <laughs> no it's okay it's, it's valsecchi's fault yeah curse you valsecchi um each episode on drive to survive had a theme and a story behind it with its villains and protagonists which made for a great story but some drivers seem to be treated unfairly how was the narrative determined for each episode did yourself or will buxton help provide any of the concepts no concepts, not from my end anyway. I don't know how Will's interviews went, but from ours, uh, from my point of view, it was you rocked up and there was a list of questions waiting for you. And you sat in a chair, kind of a bit like this. You were, you were getting interviewed on the spot, but fortunately it wasn't live, so I could uh, mess up and go again. But they'd come up with the questions because essentially they had there was a different editor on, on the whole for every episode. I mean, oh, really? multiple editors were used. But yeah, because it was such a big thing, but also trying to make sure they're all unique and all interesting in a different way and that it didn't become too repetitive um to break it up and have fresh eyes had different editors on different episodes and it would normally be someone from that episode who'd been working specifically on it would go right this is my list of questions that I I want to get covered off because I'm telling the story in this way so that's why a narrative came out I think partly as well for casual fans you're trying to hook people in You, you need to tell a story it can't just be as as plain as um as it could be you you almost 
pick a side as such. And and I did see there was times that I thought it maybe even went it was borderline with how far it went. Um, but then also that's because I see it from different eyes as well. These guys did get amazing access. Uh, they get way more access than than I ever get as a journalist. They could go anywhere um, with their cameras and their mics and and see behind the scenes. And that can then give them a flavour that maybe we don't get as journalists all the time. And and you know drivers can be clever with the way they act with the media. So. Um, I think that could have influenced it a bit as well. Uh, what I would say is there's a few times, um, and very few, but a few times you get a question uh, in these interviews that we did for Netflix where they would, they'd ask it and you could see it was quite leading because you could tell the narrative they were going to tell with that story. And some of the times you'd go, fair enough, you know, I can see what you're trying to say and and I kind of agree or you know, I see your point and you give an answer on that. But there were other times where I'd go, actually, I, just, I don't agree with that. Um, but then by giving either a different answer or saying to them, I don't feel that's fair for this reason or that overlooks that, then it then it influenced a bit what they put out, I think. So uh, they were very open to that, but obviously they were coming into it with a, with a different set of eyes, which is exactly what was needed. It couldn't be someone who was so ingrained in the sport that, that they didn't really tell a story. It had to be someone who came from the outside and went, this is so cool. Um, this guy looks like a good guy. This guy looks like a bad guy, whatever. Um, and yeah, I, I was... I. I can see why some people were rattled by it. I, I did understand that. And mm. there were a few times that you could feel it was a bit close to the line, but uh, it seems to go down extremely well and, and made it appealing beyond just our sport. I, I can see why the drivers might be wary. And I'm not saying anyone on the Netflix series did this, but you, you can see a lot of interviewers ask a question and, and the interviewer knows that his question isn't going to be included in the broadcast. And it's going to look like that person has just come up with that point off the top of their head um so it it can be it's so easy to misrepresent someone in an interview especially in that manner uh dr vida geim who uh, that sounds like a dutch name says max was done dirty by that series do you think max verstappen was treated harshly and i think grosjean is the other person who came off worst out of that as well i'd say i think with grosjean's it was more Haas themselves, or what Gunter Steiner was yes. willing to use him a little bit at time, but understandably, Roman was making some pretty big mistakes, and it was clearly frustrating uh, Gunter and the team, and they were losing points. And when that was happening, Gunter just didn't hide his emotions, and that obviously then gets condensed and used in a twenty-five, thirty-minute episode, and it looks even worse. Um, but I think there was the ability there for you know when Roman had a good result that that came out or. Um, just the way Gunther Steiner was, was incredible. But people also then understood that was his style. It wasn't necessarily just throwing Roman under the bus. It was, if Kevin had had a really bad race, he would have done the same with him. Uh, Max, I can see the argument for, but I think that was more Daniel being clever. And Daniel saw this as, it was something he really wanted to be involved in. He didn't see it as a distraction or anything like that. He really engaged with it instantly. For Max, he was a lot less interested in being a part of it uh, understandably, he wasn't alone. There's plenty of drivers that were like that. Um, and so would do what was needed and wouldn't really say no to things, but also wasn't saying, yeah, come and film me here or come and do this, come and do that, which Daniel was. Uh, and that just naturally led to way more content that was around Daniel. Uh, and he became one of the biggest storylines anyway. I mean, no one could see that Renault move coming. So that was always going to be huge. I do think there was the odd time then that the lack of access to Max um, coloured things a little bit. So say Austria, and there was a lot that was focused on Daniel and some cool insight with him. But Max obviously went and won the race um, and drove, drove excellently. And that wasn't really referenced because there was no access to him. There was no, you know, the, the whole point wasn't meant to be a, a season review and, you know, here's how the race panned out and here's who won it. But then beyond that result, there was no access to Max. And I actually think he, he Max himself hasn't complained, certainly not publicly. I've not heard him say a bad word about it. I think he's still not 
just that bothered by it. Whereas Red Bull as a team are, and Christian Horner is very engaged with it, even though he knows there's times that he came across badly. And he completely understands how and why. And I think part of him admits that's because of things he said or the way he acted. Other times it's because someone else, you know, the way the storyline went, it, it kind of, he was on the wrong side of something. But, you know, these guys were, were um, aware enough and, and, you know, they're, they're high profile uh, athletes or, or personnel who are used to this sort of scrutiny anyway. And I don't think it actually bothered any of them too much anyone who did have a problem was able to speak and they all got to preview it and approve it anyway beforehand it's okay if anyone gets a bad impression of you in f1 you can wait a couple of years speak to tom clarkson and just set the record straight because we all now know that pastor maldonado was incredible and amazing don't we so well exactly and he was the, the ferrari driver that should have been i mean that would have been a one two at the weekend but if um, only someone had helped him no one helped him he did it all be- by himself to be fair to him, he won a race and there was times that he was blindingly quick. Um, so there are times I also don't, I don't criticise him too much, but I think the way he's told that story, it does sound like it was probably a lot further away than he believed it to be or no. how he remembered it. No, not having it. If, it. if it was said on Beyond the Grid, it's true. I'm Team Pastor. Uh, time for two more questions if you've got time, Chris. Uh, oh, yep. One from Flying a Spaceship says, Hey, Chris, thanks for taking the time to answer our questions. In what space, market penetration, financial distribution, engineering, track design, etc., do you see F1 taking its next big leap forward in the way that changes uh, how us fans enjoy the sport? So I guess we could say financial distribution because of the cost cap um, and the way that those new uh, that new model should come in for 2021. Ideally, will just bring the whole grid closer and should hopefully mean that we're watching a sport where any number of teams can finish on the podium at least um, and on their day win a race. But in a sense, that is something we've had in the past. You know, you have to go back a, a while now, but you know, we have seen that from, from F1 before. I think track design is actually going to be a big part of it. Uh, it's damn expensive, but uh, I think if you look at, there's these plans floating around for a potential venue circuit in Saudi Arabia, which um, we won't go into whether that's going to happen or not and the rights and wrongs, but the, the designs that have been shown is something that is... Um, really intriguing and interesting, but the way they want to, you know fans to be able to, you know, watch from above or, or you know, where there's going to be a roller coaster that goes over the circuit and these sorts of things. Where <laughs> okay, if you start with a blank check and you've got the space, you can create something different. And I think that that's going to start to evolve slightly in the way that they're going to try and uh, create some circuits now. That well, in a sense, you know, I mentioned Cota; they did it there. You know, you create a huge hill for Turn One and you you put a spot where spectators can see as much of the circuit as possible. Um, you're, you're starting to build a track with not only the driving challenge in mind, but with spectators in mind as well. And I think that that might uh, evolve pretty quickly because once one does it, um, then then it snowballs and others are going to want to do it or other new circuits are going to try and follow that lead. So it will just take that first one to go. But I think that could be a, a, an area of big change. And uh, one final question for you, Chris. Thank you very much. I know I've reneged on the time I set out that we would spend doing this. I've already lost track. And then I assumed you'd be too polite to say, look, you said 40 minutes, I've got to go. Uh, No, thank you very much. I'm sure you get asked this kind of thing all the time. Um, But from uh, user Jessage says, hi, Chris, I'm beginning an F1 uh, journalistic career and would like to ask you why you decided to go freelance and also what are the positives and negatives about freelancing in the world of f1 Uh, thanks in advance i really admire your work and please keep doing what you do definitely a different world for journalists now than it was 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago 
Yeah, um, thanks very much, by the way, for the first first part or the end of that uh, question. Um, I went freelance because I started working with a website that was not based in the UK. And it meant that I was going to be working from home, traveling to all the races, and there was just going to be more opportunities to do other bits of work. So when I joined them, I said that I'd like to be able to do some other some other bits to supplement this. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily a financial decision then, but it was just trying to keep myself um, kind of diverse and being able to work on a variety of things. Uh, and then I kind of branched out when when I left that website. I was um, a website called F1i. I then went and joined Racer as their F1 correspondent, but that was far less demanding on my time and suddenly I had the freedom to do more. Um, but the main reason I went was because I ne- you needed to get uh, one client at least that would mean you could afford to go to every race, which was tough. But I, I was lucky enough that I got that. And from there, I then was going to be one of not that many people who would be on site at every event and available to work for multiple different outlets. Because for most people, the only way they can get there is because their company funds them to go. Um, and and then they've got to justify being there because the company's paying a lot so they're working flat out so hard to justify the the output of the company in the first place that they then don't have really the scope to do anything else so there was kind of just a bit of a, a gap in the market because as you say the way that media's changed and there's so many different outlets and, and styles i'm quite lucky i get to write online i do some stuff for print i do some stuff on tv i do some hosting there's there's so many different ways you can work within the media realm in f1 now but similarly there's so many races that very few people commit to every single one you know people do have lives i'm, I'm sad enough I, I don't um but most people have lives away from away from their job and within f1 that meant there's some people that can't be at every event and then when you are there you just pick up bits and bobs and it, it snowballs that way so um yeah i just kind of fell into it that way i love the variety uh, i quite like working from home in between races and then obviously you're full on when you go out to the races um but yeah it just kind of in a weird way it naturally happened because uh thanks to racer i got a, a big enough gig that meant i could go to every race but something that allowed me the freedom to do other things and i like to think it means i at least understand different aspects of the sport and different uh challenges and demands on different media as well so that i know you know the way that fans consume it but also how other journalists have to work and how drivers have to deal with other media and it's like i feel like i get a, a good overview of stuff like that so hopefully that makes me a bit better at what i do than i was before well, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in this shed. I don't think there's anyone that's got a bad word to say about you. Everyone says you're one of the nicest guys in the F1 Media Center. Is is it is it gratifying to think that there's this whole generation of journalists that's coming up now who basically they're all saying I I want to be Chris Medland and they're saying that as much as they want to be Will, as much as they want to be Joe. Uh I've not heard anyone say it yet, but um yeah, Jesse, it will be. That's Jesse very Jake. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and no, it was uh, very kind of them to say so. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit strange, to be honest, because just to be uh, the whole reason I do this job is because I love it. And a lot of people do the whole thing about where do you see yourself in five years or where do you want to go? And I don't think like that. I think I enjoy what I do now and I want to just keep enjoying what I do. Uh, and I think that's just it, if I give advice to anyone, it's that it's love what you do. And and because that puts you in a better mood. It makes, I'd like to say, it makes you a happier person. It means you get on with people better. Your relationships are better. Uh, and everyone's happier that way. So, yeah, no, it's cool to hear when you just said that. But um, at the same time, yeah, I, like I said about everyone in the sport, it's just normal people that are just really nice and lovely people that you get to travel around the world with and work with. Uh, and, and that's why I love doing it. Chat room's confirming. Boris Mann says, I want to be 
Chris Medland as well. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much you very to much. the live stream for joining us. You can find us, Missed Apex Podcast. Um, you can find all our stuff at MissedApexPodcast.com or you can find us on YouTube by searching for Missed Apex Podcast. Chris is on Twitter at Chris Medland F1. should definitely follow him on race days. And where should people go to find your journalism? Uh, they should go to racer.com. Uh, they should go to Motorsport Magazine uh, and their website. They should go to Formula1.com sometimes to do some features and news for them. Uh, if they're in the Middle East, they should watch NBC Action um, and I'll get in the way on the grid every now and then. Uh, there's probably a few other places too. Racer Magazine, when when we do those every couple of months, I sometimes pop up. Um, yeah, but I, I'll tweet and post and say where stuff goes up that I'm proud of. And if I'm not, I'll hide behind and pretend I never did it. He's everywhere, guys. Thank you very much for joining us in the shed. Please consider following us as well at Missed Apex F1 and me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. The reason we can bring you great AMAs like this is because we have the support of our patrons. Do also consider supporting us over at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We'll be here for a new show on Sunday and we do a live race review show every Sunday after the race at 8pm UK time and the the edited version is always ready for your Monday morning commute. Until next time, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory last forever. This was AMA with Chris Medland. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Jim. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.